A little bit about um, the Prology Consult 101, unusual cases of renal failure, stuff we don't necessarily talk about all the time. Mike, you want to run that? Or the other causes of acute renal failure. Next slide. The objectives today are really case-based and hopefully review some non-familiar causes of acute renal failure in the hospital setting and use it in a case base. So I'm going to be asking your opinion. Formulate a general approach to renal failure, kind of review that. Really improve our knowledge of the applicability and lack of applicability <coughs> of urine studies, including urine electrolytes. And really gain, improve the appreciation and experience in reviewing urine sediment. I don't think we do that well enough, and I want to, at least today, well, I can't take it to the lab, but at least today give you some thoughts on what to be looking for. And then understanding some of the limitations of the diagnostic tools in acute renal failure. So just to quickly define what we talk about acute renal failure, the definition is quite difficult. But we're going to talk about the sudden loss of renal function over several hours to days that result in derangements of extracellular fluid, acid-based electrolytes, and divalent cation regulation. That's a very difficult, very non-clinical term. And I think um, this is what you would find as a definition. And it's very difficult to define what it is. So. Um, to make things a little bit more confusing in terms of nomenclature, azotemia, people throw that out. And the, the definition is the accumulation of nitrogenous waste. Uremia, when you become symptomatic, you have symptomatic renal failure. Oliguria, uh, urine output less than 400 to 500 cc's. And anuria, or the absence of urine output or less than 100 cc's. And we'll, we don't have the time to go into what the significance are, but I just want to throw out some terminology in terms of what, what we talk about things so everybody's on the same page. So again, why oligaria, not oligaria? I think just one point to make, that someone urinates less than 400 to 500 cc's a day, it actually may help with the differential. And obviously, it may actually suggest prognosis, how well someone's going to do. So there's two good reasons for that. Um, the role of creatinine, we know that uh, creatinine is really our best marker for renal function, but there's a lot of inherent problems with it. For instance, GFR and there's uh, proximal tubular secretion that occurs. So it's not a perfect marker of exactly GFR. Because of secretion, that occurs at the proximal tubule. Other things that block secretion include Bactrim, cimetidine, um, can actually um, make our creatinine clearance uh, different than actually, and not necessarily a reflection of true GFR. Uh, also recognize that cachexia and muscle wasting if you have, you know, if your muscle waste and like, your creatinine in your body will be low. And as a result, it will not be a great estimation of true GFR or filtration fraction. On vice versa, on the same side, if you have someone who's got a lot of muscle mass, the same is true. That creatinine may actually make um, renal function look worse than it actually is. We use urea. Well, we all know that GI bleeding, hypercatabolic states, protein loading, use of steroids, and even tetracycline can actually raise BUN levels, or urea levels, and therefore mislead in terms of the diagnosis of acute renal failure. Uh, and, that, and on the, uh, the flip side, muscle mass, wasting people with liver failure, typically have decreased urea production, and as a result, they underestimate renal function. So again, we don't have a lot of great <coughs> markers, um, and so we rely, people have looked at, well, creatinine clearance is our marker. This is really not practical and inaccurate 
especially if someone is developing acute renal failure and their urine output is dropping or they're developing a change in serum creatinine quickly over time. So there are new things that people are looking at as markers. KIM-1 is a novel protein that is being experimented with and it looks like it's gaining some momentum in, in terms of detecting actual true damage to the renal function. Um, and uh, I think we're really looking at two things. One is, is damage to kidney and drop in GFR or change in kidney function. And so we're still left with this very nebulous term. And when you look at the literature about how they define cubinal failure, every study, everybody does it differently. So we are trying, at least as a consensus, to come together under one definition, which would be impossible. Next. This is just a reminder um, for all of us that, you know, creatinine of one uh, is estimated to about a GFR of about 100 cc's. A very small change going from a creatinine of one to around <laughs> 1.8 represents almost at least a half, a uh, 50% reduction in GFR. So this slope is very important, and this will shift based on age, um, sex, and um, ethnicity. A point being that small changes in serum creatinine do reflect major changes in GFR. Again, small changes in serum creatinine reflect major changes in GFR. How about in terms of the timing of people in the, I, in the ICU say, well, geez, the creatinine hasn't changed. And I just wanted to make this point and make this slide well known that, in fact, as GFR falls <coughs> with an acute insult of ATN or whatever injury, that serum creatinine often lags behind. Uh, so you'll see uh, maybe a couple days before really serum creatinine uh, accelerates. That, tr that said, the same is true with recovery, that as you start to have improvement in GFR, often the creatinine continues to rise before it improves. So again, creatinine will lag behind filtration and, and kidney function. People look puzzled. I want to make sure you understand that. Any questions on that? Okay. The uh, classification we have all broke down, I think, just for, for nomenclature and to make things easy, is really pre-renal, post-renal, and renal. And I just want to make one point about pre-renal. We use this term a lot, but it's really in the absence of injury to the renal parenchyma. And that means if you hydrated or restored their renal function, uh, their, their, their volume, their effective circulating volume, whether you improved their heart pump, whether you improved their liver failure, whether you improved their volume status, the kidney should go completely back to normal. These are not people that have protein. These aren't people that have major damage in the kidney. Um, so, again, pre-renal is really defined as the absence of renal parenchymal injury and improvement with hydration. The same can be true about post-renal, that once you relieve the obstruction that the kidney function should improve. That may take a little time and it may be slower. Um, and renal really is that as an affected renal parenchyma. The epidemiology of acute renal failure, at least in the, the hospital versus a community choir, we all know that, that in the community, uh, pre-renal is probably one of the more common causes. Uh, that people are pulmonary hypertension, cardiorenal syndrome, uh, volume depletion. Uh, that intrinsic becomes less so and that post-renal is quite common. <coughs> in the hospital, however, developing a renal failure while in the hospital, intrinsic renal disease from medications, from acute illness, uh, the like, ATN is most common. So we talk a little bit about causes of acute renal failure and in general, we said about 27% pre-renal, about 43% of ATN, at least in one study, 15% were not recorded. But we're going to talk a little bit 
more about the, the others today, the, the other causes of acute renal failure, the ones that we don't talk about, really beyond pre-renal, beyond post-renal, and really talk mostly about intrinsic acute renal failure. I will warn you, though, that I may throw <coughs> some little tricks in here when we get to the cases. So when you can talk about a, a intrinsic acute renal failure, I shared this, that I think it's best we kind of forget about these pieces, and how do you remember them? Next slide. <coughs> um, again, the, um, actually, I think I'll, uh, next slide. I think a better way to look at this is really to look at the glomeruli. And when you think about renal diseases, break it down into five. The blood supply coming in, so things that are going to affect blood supply, whether it be renal artery stenosis, potentially meds that affect blood supply, a vasculitis. Then think about glomerular processes, okay, uh, at the glomerular level. Things that are like glomerular nephritis, uh, post-strep GN, infectious endocarditis. Um, and then don't forget about the interstitium, the tissue that surrounds the glomerular, uh, interstitial diseases, interstitial nephritis, uh, rejection. And then obviously tubular damage, the classic being ATN, um, medication-related. Uh, and these are the tubules. And then lastly, the collecting tubule, which is uh, things that may actually crystallize or form blockage. So when you think about pre-renal, post-renal, you get to the renal part, I ask you to think about the kidney and really break it down into five components so you don't miss a diagnosis. Next. It's also important to realize who your host is and, and really kind of think about it. Dr. Sadiq has taught us that you know, we have to know who our host is from infectious disease perspective. What's the CD4 count? What's the viral load? What's, you know, are they elderly, are they diabetic? The same is true with kidney disease. That patients that can develop renal insult uh, have a higher probability of acute renal failure, obviously if they're older, if they're volume depleted, if they've been on a diuretic, if they've had any previous cardiac or renal insufficiency. That makes sense. Um, the presence of proteinuria is a very important one that's often missed. The presence of myeloma and diabetes mellitus. So really know your host. Just briefly, as we assess patients, medical chart review cannot be overestimated. Looking for nephrotoxins, look for episodes of hypertension. Again, looking for predisposing, uh, predisposing conditions. Uh, determining a family history of renal disease, which can be very helpful uh, as there is a strong correlation. People have been on dialysis, it's very likely, especially diabetics, that that, that, that patient may also develop dialysis dependency. A personal history of kidney stones, uh, looking for urinary outlet problems. The physical exam, again, obviously beside a thorough physical exam, especially focus on volume status, uh, congestive heart failure signs, cirrhosis, skin changes, uh, distended bladder, CVA tenderness, BPH. And then the urine analysis, which I can't overestimate. I think today I'd like to make two points. One is that a completely normal urine analysis is actually quite helpful. It can help you limit a lot of the diagnoses. So a normal urine analysis is important. And then, of course, an abnormal urine analysis should be reviewed as a number of, of possibilities. <coughs> Renal failure indices, uh, just briefly, the fractional excretion of sodium uh, this will relate, obviously, to the clearance of sodium to that of creatinine. In the case of prenatal <coughs> disease, sodium is actively reabsorbed to restore intervascular volume. Uh, this is not the case in renal injury, and I think that's an important point, that we can't rely on phenol all the time. Remember that absorptive mechanisms are broken, 
and in either case, creatinine does not reabsorb. <coughs> so we, we really have to be careful when we use spina. Uh, it's not perfect. Um, certainly if, if they're, they're dry, we may see a low phenum. But there are many other things, and you'll see today, that cause a low phenum. So we rely on this old terminology and this, this model, and I'm not saying you can't use it. I would just say use it with caution. Next slide. Again, uh, classically, you're looking at pre-renal and renal. There are a few <coughs> things that we have looked at, and again, phenum less than one, consistent with pre-renal, and greater than two, more consistent with renal disease. We have looked at fractional excretion of uric acid, fractional excretion of urea now, uh, people have gone and looked at fractional excretion of lithium. I think, next slide, I think I would just be very cautious and be very aware that there are a lot of other causes. So let's get right to the cases um, and uh, be looking for your input. And um, you know, there's, these are very difficult cases and they're meant that way. So don't feel, um, you know, you have a, a stupid question or you have a stupid answer, please speak up. All right, Adam. 56-year-old female, admitted to the neurology service. A headache, new seizure. The patient's LP confirmed viral meningitis with herpes. And you get called because she has decreased urine output. And she has some mild flank pain. Um, and they consult you because the creatinine goes from 1.3 to 2. Her urine output over the last 48 hours is about 500 cc's. So right away, how would you define her from a definition for acute renal failure? Okay, so she's oligaric renal failure. Okay. Uh, your thoughts on her? <clears throat> Not knowing what, how she's been hydrated or supplemented from a fluid standpoint, that would be my first question. Okay. So has she just been without fluid? Is she volume depleted? Um, if that wasn't the case, I guess you'd go to an ultrasound and see if there's an intrinsic issue. So you would go right to ultrasound and look for intrinsic disease? It's just that flame pain is interesting. I mean, could she have a, a hydro... Okay. Some sort of obstructive, uh, obstructive process that would make you have flank pain. Um, as far as I know, I don't think herpes simplex. I mean, I don't know if this is going to be an infectious cause or <coughs> you know, failure that would give you flank pain. But that's, uh, okay. Go through the classic. So I think the, the key is to go through the drill. And, you know, you have to think about, is this patient volume depleted? Does she need You know, how many liters has she, has she got? You know, why isn't she making urine? She's got, you know, four, six liters of, of saline on the floor. She's drinking adequately, and her weight is up. You know, she may not be pre-renal. Uh, we'll check orthostatics, do kind of the classic things. And then post-renal, is her foley in? Is she draining? You know, is she obstructed beyond the foley? Okay. And then, obviously, look at these clues. That's really, again, the, the basics. So let's get beyond the basics. So her past medical history is important. She has hypertension. She's not allergic to anything. <coughs> She's been given a cycle of 10 milligrams IV Q8 uh, that was started about four days ago. She's also on Velsartan, 80 milligrams a day, hydrochlorothiazide 12.5, and uh, Prevacid. Uh, her blood pressure is 150 over 80. Um, she has temp 99.5, pulse of 100. She has slightly dry mucous membranes. Uh, she has no JVP. Her lungs are clear. She has no evidence of edema. She has no rash. She's alert and orientated now after her uh, seizures have cleared up and her DTRs are normal. So any other changes uh, based on your thoughts, Adam, based on this information? Well, in cyclovir, um, I think it could be nephrotoxic. Obviously, Valsartan and the diuretics, depending on the volume status, or her intrinsic um, condition of her arteries. Okay. Did she get a CT 48 hours ago? 
before an LP? Good, good question. Did she get a CT? Did, was it gotten with contrast? Could she have gotten exposure to toxins? All, all excellent questions. These are, that's what that's what you need to be thinking about. Is she? Do you think she's pre-renal? Think she's volume depleted? <coughs> Here's suggestions that she got dry piece memory, and someone did over the statics. You know, she's on the side of volume depletion as opposed to volume overload, if anything. Okay. Well, let's take a look at the next slide. I guess the question I would have is, I don't know how rigorous and how severe your seizures would be to give you like a CK high enough to. Right. So, so good. All good thoughts. Very good thoughts. Good. Her labs. Uh, now her creatinine is going from um, four, uh, creatinine two to two point four. Remember, she started with a normal serum creatinine. She has a baseline history of hypertension. Uh, her potassium is 4.5. Her urine sodium, you do a is 1.1. What do you do with that? White cells are 12,000. Hemoglobin is 11.4. Her sed rate was 53. And her urine analysis is interesting. Uh, spec gravity 1.020. pH 5 says 5 to 10 white cells, 3 to 5 RBCs, uh, negative leukocytes, and negative nitrites. So I'll tell you her CPK was normal. That's a great point. We did some orthostatic. She was not orthostatic. In fact, uh, her blood pressure was actually quite quite good. <clears throat> any clues that she's pre-renal based on the urines? Uh, no casts were seen. So the BUN tracking <coughs> ratio is, you know, approaches 20, her point zero two zero. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it doesn't tell you anything because, like, she's on hydrochloroquine. Excellent. Exactly. It's good. So very good point. The FINA really doesn't help. She was on hydrochlorothiazide. Can't make the urine sodium look worse than it is. So maybe she is dry. And maybe her FINA is actually lower than this. But the hydrochlorothiazide changed that. Um, Do you use a FEURIA in this case? You could. You may consider that. You may consider that as an alternative. I think really you've got to focus on volume on her. Look at her exam. Look at her clinical status. Look how much fluid she's gotten before. And it, I will make one caveat that very, very infrequently will you see someone who's just pre-renal. To cause acute kidney injury, typically it's multiple causes. It's combinations of things. So it's usually pre-renal plus renal. And so to, to say that it's just renal alone, usually un un unusual possible. So there is a lot of oftentimes overlap. Next. Any additional questions or studies that you want? You guys have already kind of went through some of these. We talked about an ultrasound, so you may want to get an ultrasound. I think the key is really to look at the urine yourself. And so we as the nephrology consults went down and looked at the urine yourselves. And this is what we found. This is not classic, uh, what exactly what we saw, but she had a lot of RBCs. In fact, she had more than three to five RBCs, and this is what we saw. And this is an over-representation of what we saw, but uh, <laughs> this is what Google will provide. So, anybody comment on this? Urate nephropathy? Are those urate crystals? So uh, good. Uh, so these are these uh, uric acid crystals. Well, they, they look like uh, uric acid, though, can come in a different number of different ways. But you wonder about uric acid, absolutely. You mentioned these cyclamen. I don't know what they look like. Great. So um, next slide. Crystals. So that's actually those are actually a crystal-induced renal failure, and they're from a cyclamen. That a cyclamen, especially when given in a rapid infusion IV in a volume-depleted state. Mm -hmm. Well, actually crystallized. So in her case, she had definitely a pre-renal component. There was no doubt about that. And um, the other question though, that we didn't get to was, this, again, is it, is it pre-renal? Is it in the renal perspective? Um, this was something you have to think about affecting the, the collecting system. 
And so this is crystal-induced renal failure from a cyclopine. And it has been well-reported, especially in volume-depleted patients, <coughs> rapid infusion of IV acyclopine. Next. The risk factors, uh, again, bolus intravenous therapy, dehydrated state. The mechanism is really a deposition of acyclovir crystals inside the tubules. And um, you can actually cause intertubular obstruction. The foci of, uh, foci of interstitial inflammation can occur. And you can actually see white cells. Typically, you see red cells. These needles are so fine-tipped that as they go through the tubule, they'll actually damage the, uh, the tubes. And so you'll actually see a lot of blood, typically. And so, and they can, can cause quite a bit of flank pain. So. Um, all that causes flank pain is not necessarily stones. You have to think about crystals. Next. <clears throat> the therapy really just, uh, I know that's not to talk about this, but just prevention with prior hydration. The urine output is, you try to maintain it above 75 cc's an hour, plus minus the use of Lasix if you need to really flush the tubules. Discontinue the med and consider uh, gangcyclovir or oral acyclovir. Slow down the drug infusion. You can, uh, again, oral therapy as well, tolerated. And patients who have developed acute renal failure can actually be <coughs> safely be challenged if they if you limit the dose. So, um, and that's we basically did all those things, and the patient got better. Yeah. Can you um, adjust the urine pH at all? Does that help? Not. It, now that's a good question. And acyclovir toxicity not as much as a, as I'm aware of as a factor as like uric acid or another type of uh, nephropathy. But I, I don't know that answer specifically. I have to look it up. I I believe there may be something about alkalization. Okay, so we're going to do a little quiz, uh, kind of break it up a little bit. Name that stone or crystal. Anybody know what that is? Got music too. <laughs> iPad cost is going great. <coughs> Anybody? So these are uh, the, um, we call it the, um, basically like wheat. You know, when you take wheat and you, you hold it, you pinch it together. And this is uh, sulfur crystals. Uh, typically seen with sulfadiazine, can also be seen with Bactrim. So these are things that sometimes subtle clues if someone's been on sulfadiazine or someone's been on Bactrim. These are things that you may see under boards. Next. How about this one? <coughs> Urate. Good. So that's, a, uh, again, a white cell actually phagocytizing a uh, uric acid crystal. How about this one? Go ahead and hit the uh, button one by one. That's uric acid. How about this one? Okay. This is an interesting one, and one that you may see more of, uh, and, and you really have to know it and look for it. This is a trianthrine. Okay, so trianthrine can cause acute renal failure. We've seen a couple cases here uh, at Waterbury Hospital where uh, trianthrine, especially in high doses, can accumulate and cause uh, crystallized foundations. How about this one? You guys should not know this one. This is a board question. Classic HIV drug. And this one's not shown very well, but it's a square. <coughs> CBPD? Calcium isolate? Phoscarda, okay. I'll show you one other that did not show up well. Uh, how about this one? Classic envelope shape. Calcium uh, this is uh, uric acid, actually. Um, this this is a little bit different. Uh, it's a uric acid stone, uric acid crystal formation. And again, if you deposit it into the, the kidney, this is what sometimes what you can see. So 
this one did not show up well at all, but, but basically, um, if you really, if you look closely, you have a very square and then a tip at the edge on both sides. So it, it almost looks like a gem. Okay, it's, come, it's, it's, it's tapered on, on both ends. This is one you've got to know. This will be on your boards. Okay, I'm sorry for the poor quality. It's, it's, it's tapered on both ends. Hippurine? Excellent. Hippurine. So what do you see this with? What do you see hippurine with? The classic description with hippurine crystals. Gotta know it. So should we talk about calcium oxalate? If you saw calcium oxalate in the acute renal failure, what would you think about? Ethylene glycol. Ethylene glycol, excellent. In fact, hippurate is more common than calcium oxalate, but somehow it never made the textbooks as well. And so when we talk about the board reviews and all these things, we don't see hippurate. And I could tell you a great case we had of a patient that had this. We were looking for calcium oxalate crystals and saw these crystals. They were everywhere. And hippurate crystals is much more common. In fact, when we review the literature, I'm still working on uh, Mike's supposed to write, write this case up, but we'll see. Next. How about this one? This is your calcium oxalate. All right. So uh, again, cases of uh, causes of a crystal-induced renal failure: acyclovir, adenovir, methotrexate, sulfadiazine, trianthrene, phoscarnate, IV amoxicillin can do it. Quinolones have been reported, specifically Cipro. Uh, uric acid, we saw ethylene glycol included in that should be again hippurate. Uh, IVIG. Uh, both the sucrose, uh, because of the sucrose, can actually cause an asthmatic effect in the proximal convoluted cubule, and head of starch. Okay, so these are all things to kind of put on the radar screen. Next, our recommendations: we did a renal ultrasound. The patient did have myelitol hydro, a mild and echogenicity of the pelvis. We DC the ACE, which is obviously going to increase the risk of acute renal failure and hydrochlorothiazide. She was hydrated. She was given bicarbonate, so she was alkalized briefly. Urine pH came up above 6.5, and acyclovir was changed to PL, or creatinine, three days later was pointing. Her flank pain went away. Um, the next is, is really, you know, just you talk about the nephron, you just need to think about where things um, occur. And I just want to make a point about the ACE inhibitor. You all know that the effects of renal blood supply to on an ACE inhibitor. So that's one of these drugs that you definitely want to hold uh, acutely, especially also ENSIs, which can also affect the efferent arterial. Other drugs, immunoglycosides, acyclovir, cisplatin, and lithium, uh, certainly ischemia. So again, uh, vulnerability and injury uh, with drugs is quite common. Uh, additional drug nephrotoxicities, uh, AMFO-B, we talked about the ACE-ARB, um, tumor lysis, uh, HUS, TTP, IVIG, we talked about head starch. So case two. Break. 36-year-old woman presented with nausea, vomiting, weight loss, and a rising serum creatinine concentra uh, concentration. One year ago, her BUN was 16, creatinine was 1. Now she um, complains, really, she has no dysuria, fever, chills. She has no polyuria. She has no history of nephrothiasis. She feels well, other than she's nauseous, vomiting, she feels pretty poor from a, um, you know, anorexia perspective. Next slide. She has a history of GERD. 
She's on birth control, she's on meprazole, Tylenol, multivitamin. She's not allergic to anything. She's not a, uh, a drinker, no drugs, no STDs. She's normal tensive. She's borderline febrile, around 99, 100. Her lungs are clear. She has no JDP. Her heart is regular. No gout, no rub. Uh, skin exam is normal. There's no skin tenting. In fact, uh, she's not, she, she looks well other than feeling nauseous. And these are her labs. Why don't we go back a second? Don't give Greg that, that advantage. Um, your thoughts at this point on this number? So obviously with, uh, with the nausea and vomiting for, I forget how long, volume status is something that you're concerned about as, as a preventable cause, but then also um, as a symptom of, of some other type of underlying infection, um, given that she's mildly febrile. Um, I think so, you know, physical exam, looking for, for other signs of hypertension. Uh, well, I mean, for like volume depletion would be important. Okay. Um, but she's, you know, normal intensive. I don't know what her pulse is. Um, none of those drugs are too, um, too worrisome to me as far as being like nephrotoxic. Good. So, Mike, do you want to add anything? Not particularly. I don't think we have a lot of good information on this point. All right, let's go to the next slide. Mike's going to take over. White count 13,000, 65% neutrophils, 17 monos, 13 beds, and a few EOs. Otherwise, really unremarkable. BUN's 58, creatinine's 5. And again, the last time we had a creatinine was a year ago. Uh, urine analysis, uh, spec gravity 1.015, pH 5.5, 20 to 30 white cells. One to two RBCs and a little bit of protein. You quantify it, it's like 250. Uh, you do ANA negative, ANCA negative, rheumatoid factor negative. You even do a renal ultrasound. You're, you know, they're all over it. Normal size, kidneys, some slight increase echogenesis. Does she have any other allergic? Like, what's that being symptom? Uh, it's 6%. I think what 5% is normal. So, no, nothing else for an allergy. Not that we know of. She's not from Puerto Rico, no exposures uh, that we know. And she has no rash. Mike? It's certainly significant for this rise in creatinine. You know, mm -hmm. I can, I can know it's very bad. Uh, that notable thing with increased white cells. Uh, she does have a smile. Um, temperature. Um, anything else in the UA, like glucosidesterase, nitrites? <coughs> Good question. And the answer to that is negative. She was negative nitrates and negative glucosidesterase. Is there bicarb on it? Uh, yes, there are bicarb. I think it was low. It was, it was like 16 or 18, consistent with a renal disease. Steve, what would you do? Um, we should see how much protein she actually is putting out. Uh, 250 milligrams. Uh, it's not that interesting, actually. Um, Terry, <clears throat> um, you want to help? What would you do? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I think he can answer this. Is Natural Yeah, well, look at the urine. Okay. You'll definitely want to look at the urine. The urine's here. Um, I think that's where you have to go back to. Uh, you've got to go back to the urine and say, geez, <coughs> patient has white cells, right? Patient has a few red cells, but mostly white cells. Look for urine What are you looking for? For uh, acute interstitial Okay. So could this be interstitial arthritis from something from a drug? Well, we saw our med list. She's on a meprazole, birth control, mm -hmm. and Tylenol. Enzymes, like, not Tylenol, right? No, not, not Tylenol. Nausea and vomiting, because you've got the Tylenol, right? So you have to go back one side. It should be Pylo. Okay. 
Uh, didn't have lupus diesterase, no nitrites. So could pilo cause this pitcher? With a fever that low? All right, let's go to the next slide. So the patient is treated for UTI. Uh, you guys bought into the idea that she has pilo or UTI, and you treat her. She has no improvement in her immune creatinine. Uh, her white cells continue to persist, low grade, and you ultrasound her. Remember, there was no abscess, there was no furuncle or carbuncle or anything there. Repeat CBC is 14,000, now she has 18% of yields. Uh, you uh, have a student, medical student says, check the C3, C4, and it's normal. I'm sorry, low, it's low. Now thoughts? How long is she treated vasculitis? Vasculitis, you're worried about vasculitis, okay. Which she treated with? She was given uh, Cipro in the back. Well, I guess EO is too HIV, so it doesn't exist. Okay. HIV nephropathy? Yeah. Uh, okay. Very, very uh, uncommon um, in a, in a uh, Caucasian female, much more common in ethnicity. Uh, but you certainly have to think about that. And it typically will present with more massive pregnant area. Okay. Yes, you can have echogenicity in the kidney, something to think about. <coughs> and, you know. She was not sexually active either, I think, for a few risk factors. Okay. Her family history is unremarkable for any autoimmune drama? Nothing. Her ANA was negative. She had a normal, you know, rheumatoid factor. You saw her sedative with the borderline. She have a history of asthma, anything, allergies? Nothing. So what do you, you got to do with her? Biopsy. Get a biopsy of your kidney? Yeah, I think biopsy is not a bad idea. There are other ways to make a diagnosis, but uh, high on your list is what? You're saying. So maybe pilo, HIV, vasculitis, anything else? You mentioned interstitial nephritis. We don't really have a good cause. Next. So you look at a urine a little closer, and next you actually do a stain, um, a Hansel stain, and you do find uh, that there's a number of white cells and you have a number of EOs. Now this is not always perfect, but you do have it, and there are a few white cells. Anybody know what this is? So yeah, it's a white cell cast, so a large white cell um, inside of a cast formation. So now you have white cell cast and you have eosinophil urea. Diagnosis is allergic interstitial nephritis. Now the question is from what? And that's why you, early on we need to know every single med whenever they're on and really get a good review of the search. Next slide. Um, the classic finding of interstitial nephritis has been what? There's a triad. Renal failure, <laughs> fever, and rash, right? And some people then argue the other things you can see is eosinophilia, eosinophiluria. Um, th that's the kind of the classic findings that people would describe. Um, so this rash is not always seen, and this is the classic with ampicillin. This was the original drug that was described, this classic rash of renal failure. Uh, a real failure, a significant rash in the presence of, of eosinophilia. Next. In fact, when you take a look at the presentation of AIN, what you see is in different, different studies that eosinophilia is not as common as one would think. And extrarenal symptoms with the classic ampicillin is very uncommon, depends on, on the different populations you look at. So these symptoms of eosinophilia and extrarenal symptoms really don't exist. You, you may have some form of proteinuria, a mild amount, which makes this diagnosis very tough. You may also have some gross hematuria, which makes it tough. And, and like I said, pyuria. Um, so it's a very difficult diagnosis often. 
And uh, obviously the, the classic is that you'll see a change in serum creatinine. This, if you biopsy the kidney, this is what you would see. Uh, you'd see relatively preserved glomerulonephritis of poor quality, but what you can see is a lot of blue. There should be a lot of tissue in here. This is infiltrated with a lot of lymphocytes and inflammatory uh, infiltrate. Next. A closer up look, sometimes you may see ureneos, I mean, sorry, you'll see eosinophils infiltrating along with a number of white cells. And uh, sometimes you'll see tubulitis, which is actually white cells that actually cross through the, the, uh, the tubule into the, um, right into the actual um, lumen. Okay, so it's actually tubulitis. We actually see this with rejection, in fact. There's actually such an inflammatory response that white cells that are out in the interstitium migrate through and they land in the uh, tubule. That's why you see white cells, white cell cast, because the white cells cause the tubulitis. Next. So, uh, so classically drug-related cases, infection-related AIN, and then systemic diseases. Uh, the top three, malignancy can do it, and some people just get idiopathic. So, you know, if we didn't have a drug, you could have this idiopathic. It's rare, and that's why it's so low down. Next. The list of meds is huge, and it's really everything, including antibiotics, anticonvulsants, NSAIDs, um, analgesics, um, and um, again, acetaminophen is not on that list, um, and some diuretics. So it is a very common, um, you know, thing to think of them. In addition, this drug list grows every day, and imeprazole, and all the PPIs are now included. And I can't tell you the number of cases of PPI-induced AIN that are now being discovered and actually published. So. Always go to the literature when you're not certain, but imiprazole definitely, and all the PPIs have been known to cause AIM. Uh, I'm going to skip this for sake of time. Yep. Um, how high might you see like eosinophilia go? It, it's you can't. It's not sensitive, nor is it specific. Right. In fact, you can see it with a urinary tract infection, and you may not see it. And you can see um, usually you like to see some urineos, but again, you can see that with really anything. Uh, it like is nice to see. It's nice to see, but not perfect. Are urine EO sufficient for diagnosis, or do you need biopsy? Uh, biopsy is definitely the way to go. People have looked at gallium scanning to see if the, see the, the kidney light up when you're really not sure you don't want to biopsy something. The next slide. The point is you, what you really want to do is you want to remove the drug. The classic, again, with methicillin is two to three weeks after the drug, but there are descriptions of literally after a single infusion of a drug to, to have this. Uh, hematuria, pyuria, and proteinuria can occur. Uh, you know. That's in the classic methicillin. And in, in this group, again, 80% eosinophilia, 80% fever and rash. When you combine rash, fever, and eosinophilia, really less than 50%. So that triad really goes away. And you can see that the sensitivity of that, what's so classically touted, really doesn't exist. Eosinophiliuria is, the diagnostic value is poor. In fact, in four studies on KI, um, looked at about 67%. Uh, 93% with eosinophilia, only 31% had AIN, others had ATN, glomerulonephritis, atherombolic disease needs to be considered, uh, and some even had pre-renal state. Um, and urinary tract infection was seen in another 28% and 93 patients. So the positive predictive value is about 50%, and the negative predictive value is, is a little better than about 90%. Mm -hmm. So, next. Uh, just go back once, one quick. So gallium scan, as I mentioned, and really the treatment is supportive. Steroids are a little controversial, seem to be the way to go, uh, especially if, if they're not getting better after you remove the offending drug. You want to remove the offending drug and keep them away from it. Uh, they, will, they will bounce right back and, and redevelop this. 
A 75-year-old Indian male presents to his local hospital with unstable angina, where he received conventional treatment with IV nitrates and IV heparin. His pains have subsided. He subsequently developed recurrent episodes of flash pulmonary edema and recalcitrant uh, hypertension. He developed acute, uh, relatively uh, slow but, but uh, abrupt deterioration in his renal function over four weeks until eventually he became dependent on dialysis. This, this is his past medical history. Hypertension, hyperlipidemia, coronary artery disease um, that's medically treated, peripheral vascular disease with, with claudication. He does have a history of tobacco and no, no alcohol. Second time I'll go on. Gina, this will be yours. Next. Physical exam, he's a well-developed, well-nourished Indian male. He's in no acute distress. His blood pressure is good, which is a little hypertensive, 168 over 90. Again, he is on dialysis. Pulse 78, respiratory 16, 99% of room air. He does have a murmur at the aortic uh, area. His lungs are clear. He has no abdominal bruit. He has uh, trace edema, and his pulses are diminished bilaterally. He does have a left femoral bruit. Did you see he's on dialysis? He's on dialysis now. He developed very abrupt, over four weeks, of renal failure in the setting of IV nitrates, heparin, and treatment for uh, basically an MI. And they decided to treat him medically. He's got a number of atherosclerotic risk factors. Uh, he's uh, hypertensive. He's pretty sick. Heparin's not as easy No. Next. So here's his. Uh, here's his um, Sorry about that, it's a white blood cell count, is 10.1. He too had some eosinophils, 60% uh, neutrophils, 22% lymphs. He's, he's anemic. His set rate is 69. His creatinine is 4.2, again, pre-dialysis. His urine analysis is relatively normal, bland, there's no cast, and his spleen is less than 1.1. His uh, MRA showed um, no evidence of renal artery stenosis, and he had an ethromatous aorta that was noted. His C3 and C4 were, his uh, C3 was a little low, his C4 was normal. Talk out loud to get some help. Uh, his urine sodium is awfully low. Okay. Yeah, he has a very low urine sodium. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I still see, I guess, in the UI, is it looking out more? I mean, it's really the cardiac stuff. I mean, not the, unless he got hit with a big hypotension and he took a hit to his kidneys, but that was a while ago now. This is a more. Yep. Anybody else? Sean, what else? Uh, it might be very far-fetched, but I'm thinking maybe with his history of hypertension and um, hyperlipidemia that I don't know if he's possibly throwing atherosclerotic embolism. Yeah. I don't know if they can go to the kidney because he has eosinophilia, and I know that's one of them. So, so. he has eosinophilia, yeah, in the, in the blood, and in, that's on the differential, so good. Someone, someone's listening. That's good. Next. So this is his, his exam, and, and um, when you look at him, and you can see he's got, uh, again, doesn't show well with these. Uh, does anybody know what this is called? A lot of definition. What is that? Blue toe syndrome, uh, trash toe, um, all sorts of things. You don't necessarily have to have a catheterization. In fact, a change in heparinization. So if someone started or stopped Coumadin, this can happen. If someone gets IV heparin, <coughs> this can happen. And, and, um, and it, you can see spontaneous, where people are just walking down the hall doing well. They develop acute renal failure. And, and you may not see it to be this significant. But atheroemboli definitely need to be on the list. And the point is that urine can be quite bland. Um, and very difficult to pick out. Next slide. If you look and you biopsy these folks, you'll actually see clefts where the cholesterol emboli actually take out the granuli. You'll see a lot of, they have a lot of interstitium uh, disease where they actually have uh, inflammatory state followed by fibrosis. Sometimes these people can recover. Next. 
So atheromyalgia disease, you can see hypoclopathemia, eosinophilia, eosinophiluria. Again, may have a prior surgery, <coughs> uh, recent heparin acumenin. And, and in fact, these patients can develop nephrotic range proteinuria, which makes it quite interesting. And sometimes a diagnostic challenge. This is usually late, and they have a delayed improvement post-contrast. So if they got contrast, typically most people get better. When they don't, that means that you have to worry about uh, atheroembolic disease. And it's sometimes very subtle. Um, laboratory, highly variable and nonspecific. And eosinophilia is uh, really and only 14%, uh, but certainly can be there. You may see a red raised sed rate. I talked about the, the low complement. And don't forget, these emboli can go other locations, to the liver, to the pancreas, so you may see other uh, organs, and also to the eye. So you can also look uh, typically for the uh, Hollenhorst uh, plaques in the eye. Um, and you can biopsy the skin to confirm the diagnosis or biopsy the, uh, the kidney. Next. With the differential diagnosis of a normal ultrasound and negative urine analysis, it, this is helpful. Uh, drug surgery. Okay, you can have a normal urine analysis. You may not see classic ATN. Uh, you've got to think about dye. You've got to think about renal toxin. Uh, Prerenal azotemia uh, and obstruction. Again, you're going to rule these out. Uh, early ATN, you may not see it. Uh, rhabdomyolysis. And we saw you sometimes may see cholesterol emboli that are uh, bland urine. So the point is that bland urine does have a differential. You need to think about it. The limitations of the urine sodium. Remember that in patients with nephropathy, AIN, prerenal azotemia, rhabdo, uh, contrast dye, all these things can actually have a low sodium. They just don't have to be prerenal. Uh, if someone has, you know, dye, typically if you check their urine sodium, they will be low. So again, that's why we caution you with the urine sodium. Patients with severe renal vascular disease can have a low urine sodium because of an avid sodium retention. Folks on cyclosporin, tacrolimus toxicity, the use of NSAIDs can lead to a low uh, urine sodium. Uh, Post-ischemic or early ATN. Uh, ATN that's superimposed on pre-renal state. Uh, acute GN or vasculitis, classically. And then we all, you know, even though that we say, geez, you have, you know, don't have sodium reabsorption, but actually acute gamelanephritis, you'll actually have low urine sodium because you'll have reclamation of sodium at the proximal tubule. Uh, some cases of AIN and ac acute obstruction especially early can do this. So point is, urine sodium, you use it with a lot of caution. It may be helpful. In fact, it may actually make you think about some other causes rather than just purely pre-renal. Next. And I'll skip. So take on points. Etiology of acute renal failure is often easy. It's the etiology of the underlying CKD that needs to be established first. Know your host. Understand what, <coughs> what the, their course has been in the past. Careful review of all the meds, including to exposure and contrast. And even in the past is important, as well as review of the urine is as essential. Use of aphena or urine sodium should be used with caution and remember its exceptions. There is never 100% certainty in any test, including urine for EOs, renal ultrasound for obstruction, etc. Next slide. So again, causes of acute renal failure, there are a number of other causes you need to keep in mind. I think that's why nephrology is exciting, it's fun. Uh, it makes you think outside the box, and everything is not pre-renal, renal, or post-renal. The causes for renal failure expound, and there are a ton of different causes. Next. Uh, with that, I'll take any questions and answers. Thank you.